Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. Thanks for being with us here today. If we haven't met before, my name is Scott. I want to say thanks for coming and worshiping with us. If you're joining us online, thanks for uh, joining us there as well. Uh, ten weeks ago, we started a series together called The Practices of Grace. And the idea with this series that we have been going through is that we've just been looking at key biblical practices uh, um, and also historical practices of the church that really mark the life of a growing and maturing follower of Jesus Christ. And they are the practices of grace because they're the tools of God's grace, the things that Jesus taught, the things that Jesus did, that help us uh, increase our capacity for God as well as increase our capacity to reflect God's grace to other people. So they're the practices, again, by God's grace that he's given to us. And so today, though, we're going to close out this series with one final practice that we're going to be looking at. It's the practice of stopping. And this is an important practice for us to talk about, and I'm going to tell you more about what I mean by stopping. But before we talk about what it means and what it entails, I first maybe just, I think I need to convince you that stopping is a good thing. And so in order to help you with that, uh, we're going to take a little quiz, okay? A little quiz. Uh, Don't worry, it's a self-scoring quiz. You don't have to tell anyone. You're not being graded. um, But it is a self-scoring quiz just to help us get understand this need for stopping in our lives. Okay, are you ready? Ready for your quiz? Because you are going to, you're going to have to keep tally here, okay? Your own personal score, again, don't have to tell anyone else, but let me just, uh, let me just start with this. I'm going to start with the crosswalk button. Crosswalk button. You picture it, you're at a crosswalk, and there's a crosswalk button, okay? Here's the question. Hit the crosswalk, crosswalk button once or twice, okay? Give yourself a point if you hit it twice. Okay, got it? Giving yourself a point here. Okay, now, give yourself an extra point if you push it uh, more than three times successively. You know, like that, okay? (laughs) Give yourself a point for that, okay. Give yourself a bonus point if after 15 seconds you do the whole process all over again, okay? (laughs) And then one last, give yourself a bonus point if you do the same thing with the elevator button, okay? All right? So, got it? You're picturing it? You're getting your scores? Okay, so right, <laughs> giving yourself uh, your points here. Okay, let me picture another one here, all right? The grocery line, okay? You, you picture it, you're in the grocery line, there's 15 items or less. You know that little, that little section right there, that lane? 15 items or less, okay? Here's the question. Um, uh, count the items of the people in front of you or not. Give yourself a point if you count the number of the items of the person in front of you, okay? Give yourself an extra point if you count out loud. (laughs) Give yourself an additional point if you have 17 items in your cart, okay? But you're still in that line, all right. Okay, you with me still? Okay, next one. The stoplight, the stoplight. You're at the traffic light, okay? Light turns green. It's two lanes of traffic in front of you. Uh, There's two cars in the lane stopped in front of you, okay? And then two lanes in front of you, they're stopped. You're rolling to a stop. The question is, change lanes or not? Based upon the cars, the two different cars that are parked in front of you. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
So that's the question. Give your po- yourself a point if you change lanes based upon the two different cars that are parked there at the stoplight, okay? Give yourself an extra point if you're calculating the age of the drivers in those cars. <laughs> all right. Self-scoring, just you, all right? No, 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 uh, no judgment. Okay, give yourself a bonus point if you, are, if you aren't even driving and you're doing this stuff, okay? So one more bonus point. If you're not even driving. You're still doing this, all right? So, all right, you're, you're with me? Okay, here's another one. Phone call, Okay. You've been put on hold. You call someplace, you've been put on hold, and it's been over 30 seconds. Here's the question. Um, Hang up or not? Okay? Give yourself a point if you hang up after 30 seconds. All right? Give yourself an extra point if you call back and say, oh, I must have been cut off. (laughs) Here's one more. Church service. Church service, okay? Okay? Church service is ending. Here's the question. Leave during the final song or not? Give yourself a point if you leave during the final song. Okay? Give yourself an extra point if you leave during the final prayer before the final song. (laughs) Give yourself a bonus point if you're strategically seated next to an exit so you can get out quickly. Okay, you got it? You got your scores? All right. There we go again. Self-scoring, no judgment here. We're just, uh, just, you know, just checking uh, our need for stopping. Here's the score. Who had the score? Two points or less. Um, you just need to know that you're here to care for the people around you, okay? That, that's your job here today, is just to care for the people around you, okay? Here's, an, here's another score. Three or four points. Um, you should know that you're a little bit driven, Okay, if you got three or four points, you're a little bit driven, you're a little bit compelled. That's just, you know, that's just how it is. Five to six points, you are driven, okay? That you view life as a bit of a competition and you want to win, okay? So just know that. Um, Okay, more than six points, you need to be driven to the nearest care facility, okay? (laughs) That's where you land as soon as possible. No. The point of all this, of course, is just to highlight the fact that it's very easy to get caught up in our very driven world. We live in a very fast-paced, very driven world, a world that is obsessed with a quick fix and demanding fast results. Amen? That's part of what we live in. That's the kind of the culture that we live in. That's the area that, that's what we deal with. So now the question is, this is why it's so important that we learn to stop. Because there is a current that's running fast, and we're in that current, and we're just going downstream with it quickly. And it's important for us at times to just stop and say, where am I drifting to? It's important for us to stop and say, where am I going? Am I just going along with the culture, going along with the world system? Or ultimately, where is it going to take me? So there is a need for us in life to stop because it's going fast, it's driving hard, and if we aren't careful, we just drift along with it. Because we live in a driven world. And we tend to be driven right along with it. That very same drive can, can impact 
all areas of our life, including the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices that we've been talking about. See, it's very possible for us to look at the spiritual practices and say, okay, quick, got to do these fast because I need to be spiritual. And so you drive really fast and really hard. In fact, let me just show you the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices we look at over the, the, the last 10 weeks. It's a long list, but what I'd want you to do is not look at this as a long list of things to do, but see it as a list of practices that God has given us by His grace to help us grow over time. But what we tend to do is look at the list and say, gotta get these quick, I gotta be spiritual fast, and so how can I do it quickly as opposed to recognizing that God by His grace wants us to put these into practice so that we can continue to grow over time. This past week, our staff finished a book that we've been reading along that we started at the beginning of this series, and we've been reading it as a companion study. It's been a great companion study to this series. It's a book called The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. It's been a great book because in it, it's just focused on spiritual practices, the spiritual disciplines, and we've been reading along with it. We just finished it this past week. Each week, we'd read it. We'd talk about each chapter, and the chapter we talked about this last week was on perseverance. It's the final chapter in this book, and the whole idea was don't give up. Keep persevering. And, and, and the picture that came to Jim, one of our pastor's minds, when he, that he shared with the, this team was great. He, the picture that he shared was, you picture someone who's saying to themselves, I want to get in shape. And so they go to the gym and they work out. And after that great workout, they go by and they look in the mirror and they look close in the mirror and they realize, I haven't changed. And so they give up. But how much better would it be if that person, instead of giving up because they didn't change immediately when they looked in the mirror after their workout, said, I'm going to consistently work out. I'm going to continue to practice exercising. um, And then over time, um, eventually you get to a point where you look in the mirror and say, wow, look at the transformation that's taken place. And this is the same idea with the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices, that we have to fight against a culture that says, quick fix, demand results now, and, and then step, but instead step back and say, I've got to stop and recognize that this is part of discipleship, that Jesus invites me to follow him, and it's a day-by-day, step-by-step process. And as we continue to practice the spiritual practices, the spiritual disciplines, we experience transformational change. And so we persevere. And so we don't give up. And so we continue to say, how can we put these into practice so that we can grow over time? But again, we have to fight against the cultural pressure and our own internal drive to say, we want results now. And of all the spiritual practices, the one that we tend to look at the most and say, well, this is the one that will get me the spiritual results quickly is the last one that we're going to be talking about, which is the, the, the practice of stopping. The practice of stopping. The practice of stopping um, is classically called in the Bible fasting. Fasting. Fasting, of course, is the, to abstain from food for spiritual purposes. That's what fasting is all about. But I'm using the word stopping because I, for two reasons. One, I think that the idea of, of, uh, of stopping not just from food is also biblical. That it's not just that we abstain and we stop from food for spiritual, for spiritual um, purposes, but there's other areas of our life that we can stop and doing for spiritual purposes. So it's more than just food. 
but also just because the word fast itself also means stopping. It means abstaining from food, right? So there is a stopping component. So this is why I'm using the word stopping so we can broaden our understanding of fasting. Because fasting is, is something that's lost in our, in our understanding and of our culture, um, has different meanings for different people. And even in spiritual circles, we can approach fasting with a, a wrong understanding of it. In fact, many people approach fasting, even in spiritual cir- circles, as some sort of a magical fix to things. That we approach it as, is, okay, if I fast, then this is my way of twisting God's arm so far up his back that he has to say uncle and then give in to what I want. And it's a bizarre view of God. It's coming to God saying, well, if I fast, I definitely will get his attention. He has to do what I'm saying as if God is hard-hearted and not interested in caring for us. But if I twist his arm enough, eventually he'll give in and give me what I want. And it's a very bizarre view of God. It's a misunderstanding of who God is, a God that wants to be generous, a God who wants, to, wants his children to come to him and he wants to give to us. But instead, it's this, this perspective of if I just twist God's arm enough, then he'll give in and I'll get what I want. It's this magical quick fix to, to spiritual growth or to this, whatever it is that I want. And it, it's, it's a, it infiltrates in lots of different ways, but it's even infiltrated into the scriptures. Mark chapter 9, there's this story of the, the man whose son was having seizures and was falling into a fire. And so the man is so desperate, he brings his son to Jesus. Um, but Jesus isn't there. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration with the varsity disciples. And so when the man comes, it's the JV disciples that he gets, okay? And, and he, the JV disciples can't address the problem. And so finally Jesus comes back down from the mountain and he, uh, he deals with the problem. He casts out this demon that was, uh, uh, you know, oppressing this, this boy, and he's healed. And so later the disciples come to him and say, Jesus, how come we weren't able to, to, to you know, get this demon out? How come we couldn't solve this problem? And Jesus, if you know the story, says, this kind only comes out by prayer. Mark nine twenty nine. But if you pay attention, you know that, that somewhere along the line, someone felt the need to help Jesus out. And so some person, some transcriber in the Bible around the 14th century um, started to take and add to that, uh, that passage, that scripture, not just that this kind comes out by prayer, but it also added the words and fasting. Now listen, when you need to help and edit Jesus, you're in, you're in trouble, okay? That's just not a good thing. But someone felt the need around that 14th century to add to it prayer and fasting. And we see that come out in translations. Uh, many of your translations might even mention that that's been added along the way. Uh, but the truth is, um, we don't need to help Jesus out. As if Jesus is uh, unwilling to respond to our prayers, that you have to add fasting. Ooh, if you fast, then I'll give you what I want. What a bizarre view of God. What a bizarre view of who God is, a God that, that has to be, has have his arm twisted in order for us to, to get what we want. And it's just, it's unbiblical, it's wrong. And so we can have a wrong view of it. And so what I want to do just real quickly for a moment is just give you kind of the purposes of fasting, a biblical perspective. Here's the purposes of fasting. It's, there's a, a broad different ways that the fasting is used in the Bible. And so let me just give you a quick theology of fasting that you find in the Bible. The first one is this, that fasting is used as a rejection of idols. Um, in, in ancient world, uh, 
they lived in a subsistence economy, right? So food was tied into lots of things, including idolatry. And so by giving up food, abstaining from food, there was a, a part of it to say, God, I'm trusting in you, not in the idols of the day. So there's a rejection of idols. And food still today can be an idol for us. And so there's just this stopping of saying, okay, I'm going to stop and not let this be, um, be an idol in my life. Now, the second one is this, spiritual preparation. We see fasting in the Bible used for spiritual preparation. Moses, before he gets to, receives the Ten Commandments, he fasts. Uh, we see others, Daniel and others, fasting for spiritual preparation. We see Jesus fasting before the temptation. There's, there's a spiritual preparation that takes place and is used for one of the purposes of fasting. A third one is this, uh, direction. That, you know, when Jesus was preparing to uh, select the twelve disciples, he fasted. And he did pray. It was a part of his spiritual um, needing for spiritual direction. And the, the fourth, one, uh, fourth one is this, repentance and humility. We see fasting in the Bible used for repentance and humility. We see the Jonah. Uh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Jonah who didn't want to go to Nineveh to tell the people to turn and repent from their sin. Um, that is until God, you know, has him swallowed by a fish and barfed up on a beach. And then eventually he's like, okay, yes, I'll tell the people now what you want, right? So God got his attention. He then, <laughs> um, then he goes and he tells the people, hey, you, you, you need to repent and turn or the Lord will destroy um, this, uh, your nation. And the people did. They repented. They, uh, they prayed. In fact, the, the king of Nineveh said, let's all fast and let's all pray. And it was a sign of humility and repentance, and God did not destroy them. And so, so there's a, it's a part of that repentance and humility. A fifth one, maybe a little less, less common, is, is using fasting for mourning. And then we see fasting used for mourning in the scripture. We see David, uh, King David um, issue a decree that the people fast um, after King Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle as a, a part of that mourning. Uh, for the loss uh, of their lives. And so this is how um, fasting is used in Scripture. Now, this is an important thing for us to get, but it's also important to understand um, for our purposes today, not so much the, the method of fasting, the manner in which we fast, but what really God is interested in is the motive behind our fasting. And so today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that um, has, talks more about fasting than any other passage of Scripture. And the whole point of the passage we're going to look at is to help us understand the motive of fasting. It's a warning passage against people doing spiritual practices um, to, to have kind of an outward show, kind of a hollow spirituality, religion, without it really touching our heart and having it be a real relationship with God. And so God always is interested in our heart, and he wants us to understand the motive behind our practices. And so that's what this passage is so very helpful, because this helps us understand why stopping is important, why fasting is important, but also important for us to get the right motive behind this practice. Because it, there is a need for all of us to stop. There is a need for all of us to, to pay attention but we need to do it with the right motive in place. And so um, I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, this is the passage we're going to look at. Again, this is a passage that speaks more than any other passage to the subject of fasting. has to do with that motive component. And so once you find the passage, um, or you, uh, you can find it on your handout, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to read it, and then we'll come back and we'll look at it together. Let's read it together first. Listen to the warning of Isaiah in Isaiah 58, 1 through 12, says this. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion. 
and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for, dis- for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they said, and why have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife in, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am, here am I. Then if you if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repair of broken walls, restore of streets with dwellings. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. We'll take a look at it together. Okay, so this is the last and kind of final section in the book of Isaiah. And without going into all the details of the whole outline of the book of Isaiah, this is really the kind of the end where God is, is saying, I'm going to restore, uh, bring restoration. And part of the work of restoration he wants to do through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he's helping them understand, I want to restore my people. I'm going to restore, restore you through the work of the Holy Spirit. But if you want to have a restoration work, you have to let the religious, the outward stuff go. That is, um, God wants to do a work on the inside out. But what he wants to warn us against is a religion that says outside and not really have it touch the inside. And fasting, stopping, is one of those practices that we can sometimes fall into the trap of doing because it's a religious work, a religious activity, has the appearance of being spiritual, um, and not really have it touch our heart and have it touch our heart towards the people that God has on his heart. And so he wants to warn us and say, listen, this is why I want to do a restoring work, but it's not going to happen through religious activity. So he addresses fasting. And in verse 1, he really makes it clear. He says, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to their descendants of Jacob their sins. So he's saying to Isaiah, listen, this is a big warning. Shout it out, Isaiah. Warn people. Tell the people to wake up because I don't, I'm not looking for religion. I'm looking for for something that's far more uh, deeper than just the outward stuff. And so he's saying, wake up, shout aloud. Verse two, 
He says this, For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. So he's saying, listen, there's the outward side. They seem eager. It seems like they're seeking after me. They're doing all the right right religious activities. So it looks good on the outside, but they're missing it on the inside. That's what he's um, warning against. Then verse 3, he says this, and we see how we know the the inside is, is, their motive is wrong because of what they say. Look at verse 3. It says this, why have we fasted, the people say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So again, they're fasting here and they're, what, what God has uh, uh, challenged them on is their motive. And their motive, you can see right here, they're doing it for show. They're saying, I'm, they got we're fasting, don't you see us? We're fasting, we've humbled ourselves. Are you paying attention? How come you're not giving us what we want? There's a part of them that they're doing the religious act to get something from God. They're trying to manipulate God by this religious activity, the appearance of what they're doing, and then saying, why isn't it working? Isn't, aren't we getting God's attention? And so here's where I want to focus on kind of the, the difference, what the wrong motive and the right motive. So in terms of motives, in terms of fasting, they've got it wrong. They're doing it to get God's attention. If I fast, God will have to do what I want. Instead of saying, I, want, I need to align myself with God's um, will, and God's agenda, it's saying, I want to fast so that God aligns with my agenda. Do you hear the difference? Do you feel the difference? And so here we have God's response in the next verse. It says this, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. So God's not just looking for the religious activity. He's looking at the heart. And he says, yes, you're fasting saying, God, am I getting your attention? But he's saying, no, 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 listen, you're fasting but then you go out and do whatever you want. You're living however the way you want to. You're doing what, you, what pleases you rather than fasting to say, God, what is it that, that, um, that you want for me? Instead of what pleases me, say, God, what pleases you? So they're missing the heart motive of fasting to really get to say, God, we're coming to you with it. And by the way, it says they're exploiting their workers. And so they're saying on Sunday, God, transform me, help me to be changed, help me to love people the way that you do. And then on Monday, they don't act like a Christian at all. And everyone at work says, I don't know what you're doing because they're not reflecting the heart of God because it's empty. It's something that they're trying to get God's attention to get what they want versus saying, I'm going to fast to give attention to God, which is the right motive. Look at the the next slide here. It says this. It's the, the wrong motive, get God's attention. The right motive for stopping, for fasting, is to give God attention to God. There is a need for all of us to stop and say, God, how can I please you? Not, I'm going to do whatever pleases me. There's a need for us to stop, to go to fast, so we can say, God, what is it to get, I want to get what's on your heart and to give you, God, the attention that you need so that I can live the way that I'm supposed to live in the relationships around me. Does that make sense? There's a difference there. And so there's a need for all of us when it comes to stopping to just say, okay, what is it that I'm doing that I'm drifting down and going along with a, a culture or a practice and missing the heart of it? And so there's a need for us to stop and step back to say, God, I'm stopping right now because I want to give my attention to you. Not get something from you, but give my attention to you. Now, for some of you, stopping might be fasting from food. 
You might simply say, yeah, I need to, to fast from food, not so I can twist God's arm to get what I want, but to say, God, I'm doing it so I'm looking to you for my needs. Instead of filling my belly saying, this is what is going to fill me up and meet my needs, I'm stopping to say, God, only you can, and I want to give you my attention. That's the idea. Some of you need to stop from other things and that are, you're drifting along with to say, okay, God, I need to give you my attention. Many of us are distracted in life by um, technology, by social media, for instance. You fill your mind with the social media. It's scroll, 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 flip, flip, flip. And we don't, in the, in the midst of that, we're just going down the current with culture because that's what everyone's doing. But we're, are we really stopping to say, God, I want to give my attention to you, and this is taking a lot of my attention. My phone, my computer, it's taking my attention away from you. It, can I fast? Can I pause? Can I stop from social media, from technology, so that I can give you my attention? Many of you have done that at different points in your life, and I'm going to take a break from whatever it is that you're doing so that you can say, ah, because it's taking me away from you. I need to give my attention back to you. There's other ways that we can, we can stop, we can pause. Maybe it's gaming. Maybe for some of you it's gaming. It's, I spend all my time gaming and I've got all this, you know, getting a gajillion points doing all these kinds of things and, and I get it, it's fun, all that stuff, but maybe you just need to stop and say, God, I'm giving so much attention to winning here that am I really winning with you? And so I need to stop, even if it's for a season, to make sure that I'm still in line with your will for me. Then I'm not doing just what pleases me, but I'm stopping to say, I need to do what's pleasing to you. And sometimes we have to give something up, stop doing something so that we can get perspective and say, God, I'm going to give you my attention. For some of you, that might be um, uh, TV. Recently, my wife and I went and visited a young couple in our church, and we were there in their home. And when we left, we had a great time, but when we left, we noticed that there was no TV in their home. And it wasn't something we talked about. It wasn't something we brought up, but it was something that we noted as we left going, here's this young couple. They're newly married. They don't have a TV. And how different is that from so many people in our culture where it's like, that's where attention goes. We come home, boom, it goes to this little box or this little screen that's mounted on a wall. But here's a young couple that says, hey, we're just not going to have it there. And I don't know for how long they'll do that or whatever. We didn't even go into it. But part of that, to me, just says, hey, they want to give attention to God and get attention to each other. And that can be a distraction. So they pause. They stop for a time. For who knows how long. Maybe forever. But I think there's something valuable in that. For some of you, you need to stop um, dating for a while. That you're jumping from relationship to relationship to relationship saying, give me attention, give me attention. Instead, you may need to stop for some period of time to say, God, I need to give my attention to you. Am I the person that you want me to be? Am I only looking to please myself or am I really stopping to say, God, I need to hear from you and how I, how I operate with you is most important because that will help me operate well with the people around me. Does that make sense? There's just a need for us. Instead, what can I get from God by fasting, by stopping? But to, for us to stop and say, God, I need a, this is a, a moment for me to give my attention to you because there's so many distractions in life and I can be floating down this river so fast that I can get to the end and wonder what happened and how did I get here. Stopping helps us step back and really see 
God clearly and really invest in that relationship. So then that's the first part of the motive that's important for us, to give our attention to God. But then he goes on. He says, your fasting ends up in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. So the point is simple. Fasting and fighting, they don't go together, right? Um, but of course, we can't judge them because none of us have ever gotten to a fight after going to uh, come to church on a Sunday either, right? So they can happen, um, but he's just saying, hey, listen, what you're doing on Sunday, you're it needs to impact your relationships in your life. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Next verse says this. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? For lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Um, and so he's saying, listen, you're doing fasting as, as a show. You're, you're bowing your head. You're, putting, you're lying in sackcloth. It's something that you're doing, again, to get the attention of other people, and you're missing it. And so I want to show you the wrong motive for fasting. It's not just to get God's attention. That's a wrong motive, but to get the attention of others. See, the point is, hey, look at me. Look at me. I'm fasting. And Jesus is very clear that when we fast, when we stop from something, we're not to make that a public that we share it with other people to get, hey, yeah, look how spiritual I am. I've been fasting this week, you know? I've, been, I've stopped from this and stopped from that. No, the point in Scripture is to be very private about it. Because the point, the motive is not to say to get people's attention, but to get God's attention and give attention to other people. So here's the right motive. The right motive is to give attention to others. Again, not to get the attention of others, but give our attention to others. That when we give our attention to God and say, God, am I, am I just drifting down this, this cultural path and just way out of control, not sure where I'm going? Um, but it's that point of stopping and saying, I want to give my attention to you. Then when we do give our attention to God, then it opens the door for us to say, God, help us to get on heart, our heart what's on your heart. And that's the people. Not getting attention from people, but giving our attention to people. That's what God desires, that we love others, that we love him and that we love others. And we have to stop. And so this is where he again pushes hard on the motive of our fasting. This is the, the, and just, just look at it with me in the next couple of verses. He says this, Is not this kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke. So God's, the whole motive is to care for people, is to, to break people free from oppression. Um, for my brother and I, we, there was a season of our life where we worked together in the same place. It was a summer job. We had the same shift, same hours, and so we were driving to work together that summer. And every single time we'd get, to, get in the car together, we were tired. We didn't really want to talk to each other. Um, and so what we would do is just turn on the radio, listen to music, and um, that's how we would make our way. We'd commute together to work. But as we worked at this, this place, at this environment, we started to hear the stories of the people that we were working with. And there was a lot of heartbreak, a lot of sadness, a lot of oppression, a lot of addiction, a lot of just chains. And over the course of the summer, God started to work in our hearts. And we're like, man, we need to start praying for these people. <laughs> we need to start like talking with them because we, they, they need Jesus desperately. And so somewhere in the middle of that summer, we just said, okay, you know what? Instead of just getting in the car, turning on the music, and just kind of numbing out, we are going to get in the car, and maybe we listen to music for a little while, because it's a little bit of a commute. Uh, listen to music for a little while just to wake ourselves up, um, but we're going to turn off the radio. We're going to stop listening to music, 
And at that point, we're going to start praying for the people we're working with. And so we just started praying every single day on our way, on our way into work. Turn off the music, that's stopping. And then starting by praying for each individual that we worked with. And you wouldn't, you'd be amazed at the God conversations that started to happen when we started praying for the people. That we started to say, God, help us to have on our heart what you have on yours, which is the people we're working with who are lost, who are oppressed, who are burdened, who are addicted, who are just struggling, heartbroken. Let me, let's just pray for them. And over the course of the summer, we had more and more opportunities to share Jesus with them. In fact, our supervisor, the guy that we thought would never um, have anything to do with God, gave his life to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Because it just all of a sudden was a shift for us. We need to get on our heart who God has on his. And so part of our fasting was also to give our attention to the people in our life, in in our work. And so that's part of it. So how does it look? Um, Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide for the poor, wander with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? So this verse breaks it down really simply. There's lots of different ways we can care for people, give attention to people. Let me just, if you have a highlighter, you you want to circle it, let me just point out there. The first one is food, okay? Food right there. Care for people with food. Some of you do that well. It's a great way to care for people. Here's another one. Shelter. Do you see that right there? their basic needs. Food, shelter, guess what? What's the other basic need? Clothing, right? There we have it. Clothing. Just very basic needs that we would say, how can we be invested in people's basic needs, caring for them as part of our fasting, that we would stop and recognize there's lots of people who are hurting that need this, and we need to share with them. And by the way, it's not just that we're so concerned about needing the needs of other people that we miss another component, which is the fourth line, if you want to fill it in or circle it or highlight it, is our own flesh and blood. See, we can be so focused on other people, serving other people, that we miss our own family. And our family is our, our first priority, so we, we, we also have to stop and say, okay, how can I also care for and give attention to the people who are close to me, not just the people who are far out there? And that's sometimes a little bit easier than the people right here in home. So this is a very simple way of saying, okay, here's how to do it. Here's how you give attention to the people that God has on his heart. Then verse 8, here's some outcomes. Then you will, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Next verse. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk. So again, Jesus is, sorry, God is saying here in this passage, listen, there's some great outcomes. When you give your attention to God and you give your attention to others, some great things can take place. God begins to give you wisdom. He begins to answer your prayers. Things begin to happen. But he says here in the warning, but don't go back to the old system. Don't keep on going down that fast, you know, current, drifting along with everyone else. Because this is our world system, by the way. He says, if you do away, so stop drifting along with the world. Do away with the yoke of oppression that's putting a heavy burden on people um, and, and, and putting them down, laying people with guilt or shame, um, with pointing fingers and malicious talk. Our culture never points fingers or talks badly towards other people, right? Talk radio, talk TV, Twitter, whatever it might be. It's all about finger pointing. And there's always someone there in our world to tell you to hate someone else in Jesus' name. But instead, what, what this passage is calling us to is to be gracious, 
to recognize, yeah, we may have different opinions, we may have different values, maybe you have different ways of doing things, but you're still a person that I'm not better than, and so I need to be gracious toward you even as we sort things out. And so this is an important thing. We have to stop instead of falling into the flow of the cultural system. So there's the if part. Then there's the, it keeps on going to the, um, another if. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. You can be used by God. You'll be a light in this very dark world. Next verse. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and it will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Last verse, looking ahead to the people uh, of God at this time uh, who would be going back to restore um, the nation. He says this, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. You can have a great restoring ministry. You can have a great restoring ministry if we stop and we say, okay, I've got I to give my attention to you. And there's certain things in my life that have been distracting me, that are pulling me away, or that I'm just going along with because that's what everyone's doing. I need to stop fast from whatever that is so that I can give my attention to you and I can give my attention to other people. And the question then is, well, who are those people that we need to give attention to? Because it's very easy to overlook people. And this is, again, this is why it's important for us at times to fast, to say, God, who is it the people that I'm missing? And um, I'm missing the motive. And so I'll just kind of give you one more time. The wrong motive to get God's attention, to get the attention of others. The right motive, give attention to God and give attention to others. This is why we stop. This is why we practice fasting. The motive there must be there. And it's this, this is an important thing for us to get. In fact, James talks about what God's really looking for, the heart of a religious person. Um, he says this in James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Um, after Easter, we're going to go through uh, the book of James. We're going we're to study that together uh, in its entirety um, after Easter. But this is such a great statement here. And this is, again, why we stop, so that we don't get polluted by the world system. Sometimes we have to stop and say, is this polluting me? Do I need to give this up because it is, it is infiltrating my mind, infiltrating my actions? Is it polluting how I'm living? Then I need to stop and so I can give my attention back to God. But it's not just that we stop and give attention to God, but we stop and say, okay, who are the people that you have on your heart, God? See, religion that God accepts, that he desires, is that we're reaching out and looking after the overlooked, the marginalized, the needy. And that's what what James is emphasizing. That's what this passage is emphasizing as well. Lastly, I'll just end by saying this. There are lots of people who are often overlooked, and I'll just mention a few. There's a lot of people who are overlooked in our culture. The elderly, um, we live in a kind of a, you know, replace culture. We don't honor the elderly. So some of us just need to stop and say, I need to fast my time so that I can give to people who I need to honor, who I need to listen to, spend time with, and care for. This is a part of what, what it means uh, because there are people in our life that are, that are overlooked when we are just go, 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 drive, 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 and, and we, can't, we can't afford it. The mentally ill, another area that the church historically has done a, a good job with or a better job than, than any other organization, but we still have to care for those who are mentally ill. The single parent, really the, the hardest job in America is to be a single parent. And we just, we just cannot overlook 
those who are, are living and, and, and really working very, very hard to, to be a parent really on their own. The parentless, the Bible calls them the orphan um, in the Old Testament. Uh, that could be the, also in our world, in our system, it could be the foster child, it could be the, the, the child from a broken home. They, we can't afford to, admit, to overlook them and to care for them. I love the fact that at South Hills, we have beautiful threads here on our campus where we're saying, hey, we want to care for foster families and foster kids. I love that as a church, we support Kenya and the ministry there because it's about caring for the orphans who have been abandoned. Uh, I think about our children's ministry, unplugged in midweek, opportunity for families to come, for parents to have a break, to have the kids be in a positive place. This is a good thing. We can't overlook the needs of the orphan, the parentless, the, the needy in our, in our culture, the immigrant. Um, so important that we get this. And uh, I know that it's, some people say, well, why the immigrant? I mean, if they would just learn English, that would be great. Okay, fine. You teach them English, okay? You help with that. It's easy to overlook them and say, well, they just don't get our language. Of course they don't. They know five other languages. You just know one, okay? So help them out. You don't know how difficult it is to be placed into a world environment where you do not know the language, you do not know the culture, how isolating that is. So don't overlook that. We haven't been in that environment. There are many people who are refugees, who are immigrants, that we can care for that we can overlook and dismiss, but we need to provide a place for them. And sometimes it's just stopping, recognizing their world and saying, what can I do, God, to meet their needs? The world is the last one. You could add to this list. I'm just, I, could, I stopped at one point and said, well, how about the whole world? Because the list could go on and on of people that are overlooked, that we have to say, God, help us to get on, on uh, our heart who you have on yours. And this is the beauty of fasting, because fasting does not have to be just food. There can be lots of different ways that we fast. For many of you, you may just say, you know what, the, the, the money that I would spend on going out and spending on a meal, what if you just fasted, you stopped and said, that, that money that I would use to feed myself, what if I took that money today after church or whatever it is, take that money and give it to a shelter? You get that? It's stopping and saying, how can I get on my heart what God has on his? I'm going to fast so that I can give to others. And maybe better yet, don't just give money, show up to the shelter and say, how can I help? How can I serve the people there? Some of you say, okay, well, I I just, I love shopping and I get it. There's lot, shopping is fun. And so maybe for you, it's like, okay, you, you go shopping this week and you go to all the places that call to you, that have the deals that you want to buy, the, the clothes that you want to get, you go shopping. But once you go shopping, don't purchase anything. Calculate how much it was that you would have spent on yourself by all the clothes, all the different things that you wanted. Take that calculated money. This is what I would have spent on myself shopping today to meet my need. Instead, then take that money that you would have spent on yourself and go to a single mom and say, I want to give this to you. I want you to go shopping. And listen, I don't want you to shop for anyone else but you. You get that? When they you know, revive from, you know, falling on the ground, um, you, they'll just be encouraged because you thought of them. Because you give attention to God, you begin to give attention to others. Some of you need to fast from gaming so that you can say, I want to give attention to the children in my home or the children in my neighborhood or give time to go tutor. You don't have to be brilliant to be a tutor. You just show up and you love kids and you help them. That's the idea. There's lots of ways that we can stop 
to say, God, I want to give you my attention and give attention to the people around me. You do that. What could God do with a church that says we are going to stop more so we can listen to you and we can love the people around you? What could God do with a church that's responsive in that way? So much. Let's take a moment. Let's ask God to help us with that together. God, as we come before you in this time, I know that there are people here who maybe for the first time just need to recognize you. They've been living life and really drifting down with the stream of culture and never stopped to give you attention. And if you are here today and that's you, you've not stopped to give God attention, this is a moment for you to say, God, I want to give you my attention. Maybe for the first time. Stop trusting in myself and I need to start trusting in you. You'd say, God, I need your help. I want to seek you. Guess what? He promises, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart, you give him your attention, you will find that you already have his. Some of you here just need to stop and say, God, there's some things that I've been doing, the things that I've been involved in, I just need to step back from so that I can not be distracted. Not just from a a relationship with you, but from missing the people around me that you're calling me to serve. So God, help us as a people, help us as a church to stop, to give you attention, to care for others, that you would transform us and transform this community um, because we're responsive to you in that way. By your grace, God, we pray this in your name. Amen.